Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Angela Lewinsky and I am joined this week with Brett Freeman. Hey everyone. Jonathan Lee. Hello everyone. And Zach Cady's here. What up all you cool cats and kittens? Oh Jesus Christ. Um, cool, alright guys, so we're going to have a little bit of an episode for you. Uh, probably not too much going on this week, so we're just going to hop right into it. We have uh, the only thing that we're really going to discuss this week, news-wise, is they put out the you know the website that says or the page on FFG's page that says the different things in development and expected release dates. Well, they updated that and posted it on the FFG Facebook page, saying that it's all you know been updated recently, and it looks like we're not getting an X-wing wave until September, which feels bad because didn't in the beginning of the year they said that we we're supposed to be getting like four X-wing waves this year and blah blah blah, and here we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic and possibly not getting a wave until September, which is like it'll be what like nine months, not nine months, um. Probably about like seven months since the last wave came out. So it really kind of makes you wonder like what's kind of happening um, at FFG with the state of the game. Like it's a little bit worrisome because I mean, granted, it's not all their games. I see that like Legion is getting releases. I see that Arkham's getting releases and stuff like that. So it's like I don't know what happened here that X-Wing went from getting possibly four releases a year um, on top of that last wave to now having to wait until almost september to get it um i'm sure it's completely logistical and like i don't know um what would you guys think like do you think this has anything to do with the state of the game do you think it has something to do with coronavirus and production or uh like what, what are your thoughts on it i'm not reading too much into the state of the game to be honest like i really just think it's like a logistical thing right now like i mean if you look at somebody like games workshop games workshop is just 100 shut down right now they're not selling anything they're not manufacturing anything and like part of that is because gw manufactures all their stuff in the uk and the uk has put in a bunch of things about you know non-essential businesses right now so there's no production happening but i, I would imagine this essentially the same thing is happening at ffg i wouldn't personally read into anything about the state of the game yeah, I think I think Zach is completely correct, right? I, I think this is coronavirus related. I think it's probably uh, like a, a warehouse storage issue as well. I mean, X Wing is just a pretty huge game compared to the the other games you were just talking about, Andrew. Where you know, if they are getting a whole wave and they're just not able to distribute it for you know six months, the the logistical hassle of storing it too could could be you know beyond something we could comprehend. So I, I'm not too worried right now. It seems like X-Wing is, is still in a really good spot, but it is nevertheless kind of discouraging that we did go from uh, four new waves, and I think it was actually going to be five because I think the they, they had said, you know, the Tybaron and the, the Fireball really were supposed to be out the previous year to now maybe getting one or two throughout the year. Uh, so it is obviously a little discouraging as a player, but uh, I don't think that we can put too much blame on FFG at all I mean, here yeah and especially if you think about too like just the european market is completely gone right now and for the foreseeable future and 
of FFG's games. I'm going to go out on a limb and say X-Wing is their biggest European game. And Europe accounts for a decent amount of X-Wing sales. Yeah, and in addition, they probably want to avoid another situation with Barnes & Noble selling things. And here it's not they're going to sell it a week early. It's like, oh, we're going to sell it in April when we got the product, and everyone else is going to sell it in September. That's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely... I hope that is the case. I'm like I said. I, I know um, these other games. They are getting earlier releases. That could just be that they were, you know, already on the boat and ready to go. Where this was still maybe like a little bit in production. I mean, it went from originally went from April release to uh, potentially September. Um, like I said, I'm hoping it's just a complete typo. But we don't know what's happening right now. I think you know it, people are saying that we could start you know seeing things get back to normal in May. Uh, it might be a little bit later because I mean, like they did postpone Origins. Origins got postponed until October, which is the same weekend as Worlds. Um, so that's what what was that June? So it could just be all, all those things happening. Um, I like I said, I, I hope it isn't the state of the game that like these other things are getting prioritized over X Wing. Um, but I, I and. Grant, I, I uh, let's talk about it like uh, from FFG's standpoint. Um, like, I'm almost curious about how much money like X Wing pulls in compared to some of these other games at this point. I know Legion has definitely uh, been a lot more popular in our area, and like people are just kind of starting to like get onto that boat. And like, I'm I'm curious if like money wise, we we know that they had to change the structure of the waves because they said it really wasn't working out. And um, I'm hoping that it's not going to be like too much of an issue going forward with, with X-Wing and how it's ways. Like, I'm almost curious if like them making seven factions kind of shot themselves in the foot because, you know, a lot of, there is a lot of people out there that like are sticking to one or two factions and they might not buy anything if for a long time if none of their factions are getting releases and, and like I, I absolutely kind of see that and um I, I hope it's not an issue with how x-wing seeing their sales so uh, andrew i'd say i agree with uh zach and brett i think that i mean i think speaking of the multiple factions i think it was like the introduction of the republic and the separatists generated a lot of excitement for the game and has brought in like a lots of potential new product you know we're seeing lots of great ships i'm re-watching the clone wars with my son and we're enjoying it a lot and there's a lot of great material to be mined there so i think it was necessary and i think these are like extraordinary times and i think all that stuff for other games is already in the pipeline and even if stuff gets released it's how do you sell it you know when all the flgs's are closed when amazon you know, maybe you could buy it on amazon or something yeah, like that. And you'll but, get it in like 12 weeks now. With But like, yeah, like when you order some things on Amazon, it takes like a couple weeks. Like they say, you know, this is non-essential or we're prioritizing other stuff. Understandably so. So like the traditional distribution chain, the stores, the FLGSs, it's all like shut down. And when companies like Marvel are pushing or when Disney is pushing back Marvel movies back like months and months and months, I mean, X-Wing, it's small potatoes compared to like, these gigantic things that are happening in other industries, like delaying movie releases is pretty huge. Sure. So I don't and, think it's anything specific to X-Wing. 
and this is probably not really that big of a factor, but let's be honest, FFG is really known for being late on delivering their product. I think maybe they picked a date far in advance or far out there, so that way hopefully they can deliver something early for once. It's much easier to go, oh, you know what, September was wrong, we can give it to you in June. Then it would be to say, yeah, we're going to deliver in June and then have to push it back to September. Right. Damn it, Brett. Now it's actually going to come out in November. Fuck. I mean, my, my, Probably. my first thought of it. Yeah, that was one of the first things I thought about was FFG is never good on these dates anyway. Um, so but like maybe this is one of those things. If everything gets back to normal, this you'll see this stuff at Gen Con and maybe they'll just be like, OK, everything's good to go. And people can pick it up early at Gen Con and then maybe like or at least because they always do that every year. They always have that special stuff that to give out that. Um, so that's I mean, definitely plausible. I, I mean, I know this is not a coronavirus podcast, but I don't foresee <laughs> things getting back to normal anytime soon. You're right. And even if Gen Con, I mean, you're going to have a lot, of, even if Gen Con doesn't get delayed, there's going to be a lot of people just sort of hesitant to go, even if Gen Con goes on as scheduled. So, yeah. I, yeah. If you think, um, like other places are just starting to open up and you know, like overseas and it's been slow and they're months ahead of where we are. So I don't expect it to be anytime soon. And whereas uh, not like in Japan, they, in Hokkaido, they declare they, after loosening restrictions, they tightened them back up again when coronavirus cases started to increase. So I, I don't, know, I don't foresee us getting back to normal anytime soon. Cool. Well, that will segue into our next topic then, because this past weekend we held our first tabletop simulator tournament, and I think it went pretty well. Uh, Brett went around and bullied people like he normally does, so we're just going to say, screw you, Brett. And um, Thank but you. <laughs> before we talk about the tournament itself, like I really think like like there's options out there for x-wing uh to play online there's vassal there's fly casual and i almost said fly better um and then there's tabletop simulator each of them kind of have their own little perks and advantages i think i like tabletop simulator the best for just like playing a casual game of x-wing i definitely like vassal the best if i'm trying to just grind reps and get as much data as possible and if i'm ever bored in my car um i'm can play fly casual on my phone so but with that being said like i think things went really smoothly i you know we had a normal tournament like we started at 11 i think we were done by six four rounds uh things took a little bit longer to set up than like they would a normal um, you're now you're at your game store and you just find your opponent and set up and go like that. But I think at the same time, it's like, you don't have to go anywhere. You're just, you log on at 11 or whenever the tournament starts and you, you play the game and then you like create a room, set up with your opponent and then go from there. Um, I think on average rounds, you know, that we still did the hour and 15 minutes, what I think worked really well. Um, you take a little bit of time to set up and then you punch in your scores and then boom, bam, you're done. Brett, Zach, you guys played in it. What did you guys think? I thought you did a great job running it. I thought it was incredibly smooth. I really like TTS for it because you do get to stick to that 75-minute game uh, where on Vassal you might be looking at like a two to two-and-a-half-hour game, which kind of makes a multi-round tournament like this extremely difficult uh, to, to do in one day. 
Uh, so I thought it was extremely smooth. You set up a, a Discord for it. We had a bunch of voice channels, so uh, communication was extremely easy. Uh, it it really felt like I was playing in an X-wing tournament. The only thing that was really missing was, you know, I, I don't get to to joke around with the person standing next to me or, or anything along those lines. But, uh, you know, I if that's my biggest complaint, I think it was a complete success. How dare you? We joked around. <laughs> I meant the person not that I'm playing. <laughs> Andrew came in and you joked with him. Jeez. That's a great point. You know what? I have I have no complaints then. <laughs> no, like I thought it was really well run. I thought yeah, like just touching on a few things and like thinking about it from like my own TO lens. Like I think like putting in just like a, a very modicum of work ahead of time like smooth things out a long ways in the running of the tournament. So yes, like having the discord set up, having a chat channel created for every table, having a voice channel created for every table made it super easy for everyone to just be like, jump in. Um, and people were really good about sorting themselves out when it came to stuff like, Hey, I've already got a table set up. Here's the server. Here's the password. Jump on in. Like, yeah, I thought it ended up being like it went way smoother than I was expecting it to, to be honest. Because uh, I know running a real tournament can be like herding cats sometimes. So I just assumed an online one was going to be all the worse. But I, I think honestly, the the only suggestion I would have to improve it would be to have a global clock that was just a, a firm cutoff. Right. right. So like, if you're done early, start your own clock, play your 75 minutes, that's fine. But, you know, like 15 minutes after pairing start, you start start a 75 minute clock on uh, on TTT or TTO or whatever. And once that goes off, the you know, you're done. It's just like, you know, if you're taking too long to set up in, in real life, you're not getting your full 75 minutes. I think that would be my, my only complaint because there there were some times where, where you know, the, the setup times were so vastly different that. Uh, there was a little waiting around, but you know we also were dealing with some technological issues, and some people had never played on TTS before. So, uh, again, very very minor uh, complaints. I mean, yeah, that's thing that I would. Yeah. That's one thing I would touch on too. Like, it's not a complaint at all, but just like think of like what I would do if we did this again or when we do this again. I think like creating some sort of doc or post for people would just like some FAQs, some like you know, here's how to get set up. Just some of that I think would go a long way for future ones. Just like this one already went pretty smoothly, but there were like a few people that like, I know like one opponent I had like wasn't getting on like Discord voice. And I was like, where are we talking? And then he finally like Steam chatted me. And I was like, well, we had a Discord for this. <laughs> You're like in and typing to me in. Like, why don't we just jump on there? But like, so I think, yeah, just having like a, like taking like a lot of the lessons we learned from this one and like just putting that down into writing to like distribute around ahead of time would help like smooth out even like some of those very small wrinkles that did happen just wrinkle the smooth them out even further sure um yeah i i think like i said overall it did go pretty smooth i mean i know there was one round that we had to wait around a little bit but i think also the fun of it was that you're in your own house and you know you can just be on your phone and walking around and getting a cup of coffee and going that way. So, I mean, I definitely think we're going to do this in the future. Um, obviously, it's probably going to be a little bit before we get to get things back to normal and everything like that. So, even if like things slowly do start to come back to normal, I think 
like we might try to do this again maybe like in a month and you know so keep your eyes out open for that um i'm currently working on making alt r cards for tabletop simulator so that way we can like kind of like hand them out that you can like save them as an object and then potentially use them uh for future rounds or anything like that so um, nice what was yeah, that? that is really awesome. nice yeah, yeah yeah so i mean it doesn't seem like that's it's that far off and i mean like so you can keep your old arts um that you get there so we're working on that so it's something that we can do for you guys um in the meantime uh, so one one criticism i would have just against the online format itself i guess is uh it seemed that people were much more willing to drop than you know like if they had driven 30 or 45 minutes to get to the tournament and they're hanging out with their friends they would probably stick it out where here we're all at our house right you know at some point everyone's just like all right screw it i'm done how um, dare you i drop at regular tournaments about, too <laughs> i'm not talking about you at all i three and one drop on the reg i know um and and uh and jonathan is quite quite notorious for making cut and dropping at that point um but no i'm not, I'm not talking about that at all just like uh, it seemed like after round two as soon as people had two losses they were just like i'm out um where i felt like that wouldn't have happened with quite as much frequency in person but you know again there's nothing you can really do there when you're at home you might just be like i don't feel like sitting in front of the tv then or the, the screen for another four hours when i know i'm out right yeah and, and like I mean, it's a little bit harder with, like, prize support when you're doing something online where if you're at a store, you can be like, okay, well, I'm going to wait around and see if I do get anything as opposed to being like, well, I mean, I might get something here or I might get something there. Um, so it, it's definitely something to live and learn by. Like I said, hopefully in the next we're going to really try to push something bigger and see where we can go with that um, and, and try to, like, just figure that out. Um like I said, the online community is great. I mean, you can log on to Tabletop Simulator and Vassal right now and probably find easily 30 games going. So people are still playing the game, and, and they are still excited about it. Um, we'll definitely be open to see what different, like, if anyone kind of wants to switch it. I mean, we just did extend it this time about, um, you know, of course, Brett runs some bully list, um, so maybe we'll... Maybe we'll try to do some tournaments where, like, we do cap out, like, you can't pray, take I-5s or I-6s or something like that. And, like, it's kind of, like, super fun also because with – you don't really need the components, every component that you have. Like, you can do the tournament and not have what you exactly what you want to fly. You can try something out that you don't normally fly, you know, do – or something like that. Just test something out and um, not really have to worry about – either gathering components or you're not sure how it's going to work out. Like, I mean, if I was going to play it on Saturday, I was going to run a version of time walk Assage for 2.0. But I mean, I did the entire time there was even numbers. So I didn't get to do that. So, but there's something like, you know, different things that you could do online that you could just test out that you might not want to do in a uh, tournament setting when you're in person as well. No, yeah, I totally agree there. Like that's, what I ended up doing, I flew a two-ship Vader Rexler Brath build, which was a blast, except for Vader, he sucks. But Rexler Brath was fun. I've never flown a Defender in 2.0. I haven't done it. I realized I love them. They're pretty good. I've also, got three of them sitting downstairs. I really should work those out. 50 games of X-Wing going on on TTS right now, by the way. That's nuts. I'm, I'm I mean, that, that's just amazing. Do you have Vassal open? I don't, but I'm about to. 
Okay. Um, but yeah, so like it, like I said, it's definitely something we're going to do in the future. Keep an eye out. I know um, one of our locals, he has started to run a X-Wing league that, you know, just to like kind of replace the going to the store on a, you know, weeknight and getting some games. And um, I, I would encourage people to do that. If you were interested in this league, you wanted me to promote it. Um, and if you can, if you go to the Liberty Squadron Facebook group, um you can check it out there not the liberty squadron facebook page uh the podcast page but if you actually go to our group you can get more details there and sign up on tabletop co so you can definitely check that out um i can probably also list link it in our show notes just in case you do not have facebook and you found us uh did you find out Brett? i did 18 games right now on vassal including like four of the the jane kane open ones tts ones jk um all right, so what, what like going into the list that you saw on Saturday, is there anything that caught your eye, or do you think like we're in a state of the game that people know what they want to run, they know what's good, and they know what they you know what's happening with the game, or do you think there was like anything that really caught your eye? Uh, so my last round opponent was flying a list that I just thought was really pretty cool. It was uh, Wedge with Plasma Torps, and then two uh, of the uh, I four. E-Wings with FCS and uh, Proton Torps. And I was flying Vader Sintir Whisper, and they do not like Torps, um, and they do not like Wedge. So I just, I, I mean, it was it was an extremely scary game. I thought it was a really fun list that was out there that, uh, you know, I might want to throw on the table at some point. Uh, I'm going to give our listeners a challenge here. Brett always goes into these casual tournaments and just bullies people. Yep. I'm going to put it on the listeners to email us at Liberty Squadron Podcast at gmail.com and tell us what you want Brett to fly as his next list. And Brett, you don't have an option on this. You're going to have to fly it. And see. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so I want to. I want you guys to email us on what you think the best list or maybe the worst list. And we'll talk about them on the air. And Brett will absolutely fly it at one of our next uh, tournaments and see how he does then. And and just for the record, I'm not the only hardcore gunner here. In fact, in the four games, <laughs> I lost the initiative bid twice. <laughs> I mean... With an eight-point bid. So let's keep that in mind. Now, granted, one was to Zach with two ships and a 16-point bid or whatever, but still. Brett, what's your least played faction? It was a 17-point bid, thank you. What's your least what's played my... faction? Separatists. I... I... Let's not do separatists, please. All right, I'll, you don't I'll, get a say in this. No, no, no. I'll, I'll axe out separatist swarms. Any other separatists, I will say. But separatist swarms, let's axe them out. That's his, the one restriction. Anything else, send us your list. I want to see what you can come up with. Is this Brett. extended or hyperspace? Uh, let's stick with extended for right now. Let's do extended. And you know what? Let's take our favorite three and then we'll put it up to a poll on the Facebook page. That's fair. And then let the people vote for what Brett has to fly. Oh, I'm man. so nervous right now. <laughs> I hope. This is going to be worse than my Jank Tank open squad. You will have bonus points if you throw Dace Bone Arm into this list. Oh, yes. You, you'll get my vote automatically if you have Dace Bone Arm. Um, so into that. Uh, Zach, did you say anything special? Or your list is special? Uh, I mean, my lists are always special. We know that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. 
everything was interesting. I mean, I played Brett. I played three uh, Lambdas and Suntir Fell. That was funny. Like, that was just a lot. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Within the old uh, Alabaster Hippo Space Ballet. Yeah. From first edition. Yep. Pretty much. They were just generic. <laughs> yeah, three oh, generics with nothing on them. Suntir Fell. He had a shield upgrade. And I think Predator on him, I think. Huh. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting setup. Um, yeah, it was a it was a big net of beef. And Vader did not want to get caught in. So, and I, I do have a confession to make. Immediately after us doing an episode on bullseye arcs and hitting them, and I believe I said how with Suntir, like you're always going to do it. In my last game, I have a perfect double reposition. Uh, bullseye opportunity, and I do the wrong barrel roll, miss it completely, and I just felt so bad about myself. Feels bad, man. Feels bad. Really does. Um, all right. So, that, like I said, that's in the pipeline for us. Uh, we we have the league going on, maybe at the end of the league, uh, that one of our locals is setting up. That we will try to do a, another tournament, and then. Um, if that goes well, maybe we'll try to do some like crazy tournaments just to see if people are interested in them. But in the meantime, Liberty Squadron Podcast at gmail.com. Send us the silliest list that you can make Brett fly at the next uh, tournament. Because we don't want him to win and he needs to stop being a bully. All right. So we're going to do a little bit of a refresher here. We're going to talk about, we're, we're going to start with talking about the Rule of Eleven. Now, anytime I go up against Jonathan, I can always see his mind working of, okay, you set up at the back of the board or you set up at the front of the board and you just did a one forward or a two forward or however many forward. And I did this and you can see the cogs working. So Jonathan, why don't you, we recap what the rule of 11 is? Uh, so the rule of 11 is a, uh, so it's a rule to, so- so it's based on an old video from X-Wing Strategy Tips on YouTube by Nick Sabicki, maybe five, four or five years ago. It's, it's old. And basically, back in those days, people frequently jousted. And it was to, so you could figure out what moves you needed to put in to get to range three of your opponent. So basically, if both you and your opponent right, line up as far forward as you can, uh, from your board edge, the rule of eleven states that your sh- your ships and their ships need to move a total of eleven base lengths to get to range three. So, as a corollary, if you move thirteen and a half base lengths, you'd be at range two. If you move sixteen base lengths, you would be at range one, and if you move eighteen and a half base lengths, you would bump. So practically speaking, you it lets you think, okay, if my opponent dials in this and I dial in this, a certain move, then you can sort of calculate what you need to put in to try to get the range that you want, if that makes sense. I think watching his video is actually sort of the best way because he explains it in video format. Right. So uh, I can definitely link the video to uh, if you haven't seen it or if this is even the first time hearing about it. I know a lot of people 
know about it, but they might not even understand it or practice it. So it's definitely easier to see when, uh, like in a video format. The thing is, is a lot of times, you know, we see, um, people, unless you're bringing two heavily jousting lists, people aren't lining up. So we're going to talk about like just that and, you know, like different things that you can do to try to like really kind of take advantage of the board state and kind of like the math behind it. Like you always see like certain people will definitely like check arcs. Even though they know they don't have a shot, they know something's out of range or something like that. I guarantee you the reason they're doing that is because, and I'm sure that some of the senior uh, X-Wing people or people that have been playing for a long time already know this. So they're probably even tapped out of this conversation. But I think at the same time, it's, it's something that I forget to do even a lot of times where I'll just like be like, okay, but then like I'll be at the dial planning phase and... I'll just forget, I'm like, why didn't I do that? You know, I want to know if, you know, doing a five forward is going to bump me or if it's going to be too much or like what maneuver, like if the K-turn is even going to fit there or something along those lines. So it's definitely something to always kind of keep in mind is ways to get around. Like if, if, if you're not lined up against each other and those shots like that are about to happen, that's a good way to kind of like... um understand like the position that you're in right now and how you can definitely dial in certain moves that you know will bump or won't bump or different k-turns or anything along those lines now like something like the um a talon roll or a two-turn with a small base ship if you ever like look at a grid and where ships kind of move of where certain things are if you do a two-turn it's always going to be a one forward and a one left so it's almost like a one forward and then barrel roll. Like that is the equivalent of, of a two turn. So like something like that is definitely something to take a peek at. Or if you're doing a talent roll and you know that would fit there, then if you measure range and you see that you are they're in range two, this is something that you could do to try and, and be like, okay, I understand that this will fit here because it will be within um, a range one bandwidth. Uh, so, Brett, you had some things that you were talking about earlier with how to engage at certain points. And like you said, that like people don't always joust anymore, especially because, you know, everyone hears the term that if two people are jousting, one person is usually wrong. So, like, what would you recommend along some of these lines? Well, I mean, what I always try and do is is kind of like a, a rule of 11 of, of my own, right? I'm, I'm generally starting on a different angle or a different side of the board than they are. You know, at some point we're, we're going to engage probably in the middle, ideally not with, with all the ships, right? I, I'm trying to flank with some of them probably, but uh, like Vader, for instance, he, he's kind of my, my, my jouster, I guess. Um, I, I'm, I know I'm going to be out for a target lock this range or this turn, but I'm still going to measure and, it's really so I can then try and eyeball how much further are you than my target lock uh, ability, right? A, a range three ruler is, uh, what, seven and a half base, base lengths away. Um, so let's say I, I think that you are probably at range four of me, so you're, you're 10 base lengths away. Well, then I know that, uh, you know, let's say you're a TIE fighter. You could either do a one hard turn or you're going to be going at least a two speed maneuver. Um, and that gives me the ability to figure out, 
the 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 perfect type of maneuver to dial in myself to ensure I get you at the type of range band that I want you to be at. Um, so that information is completely critical. Um, it, like you said, it's extremely important to, to be doing these measurements, even when you know you're not going to have a shot. And it's so easy to just sort of fly by them um, and, and screw it or screw it up. But that is extremely helpful to make sure that, that you're going you're gonna to hit them right at that perfect range three mark, um, where ideally they're not going to be able to get a target lock on you um, in advance. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and one just one, one thing about Rule of Eleven. I remember the first time I I heard about it, and I think I watched the video Jonathan was talking about. Um, one thought I immediately had was, why would I ever do this? If everyone knows or everyone could know about this, why would I want to put myself in a situation where they can do the exact same math that I could? Um, so anytime I was lining up from someone, I would make sure I was lining up. Uh, you know, behind the furthest area I could go, right? So maybe I'm all the way at the, the back edge, or I know that I'm half a base length away from the back edge. So I have some information that maybe they didn't pick up on. And I know that it's not really the rule of 11 right now, it's the rule of 12 or 12 and a half or something along those lines, uh, where I'm not just giving them uh, this, this you know, easy ability to count to 11 and figure out where we're going to be. Uh, so that that's kind of another tip, I guess, is, you know, don't, ever line up in a way that would give them a rule of 11 calculation. Yeah. And one of the other things that you kind of have to really look at with the rule of 11 is when it comes down to ordinance, like we always talk about like you'll be at range three here, you know, you'll be at range one, but when your opponent or yourself has ordinance, you really kind of have to take into consideration of the bandwidths of that ordinance. Like, do they have advanced proton torpedoes? Do they have just regular proton torpedoes? What is the best engagement that you're really going to need where, you know, or your opponent's going to be trying to fish for? Like, a lot of times you can probably calculate where they're going to be or where they're going to try to be in order to get that torpedo off. If they're a higher initiative, they might be going slow to um, make sure that they have that range so you might want to like shoot in as fast as possible so you can't um you deny them that opportunity to fire that torpedo and maybe like better your odds or like vice versa you know you might want to try to go in on a, a angle if you have the ordinance or something like that and you want to try to make that you know a range three shot where you're denying them the extra dice because of ordinance or something along those lines so th these are all like things that you know, you should really kind of pick up on um, with, with the rule of 11 and, and understand like the different scenarios that this happens in. Now, granted, like I like as we were saying earlier, is that you're not always going to be lining up directly across each other. You know, almost every game that you ever see, there's one person on one corner and then one person in the other corner. Now you can probably figure out, like, I'm sure there's math that you could absolutely do that you can identify where the engagement's going to happen. And I think that's a huge part is to really kind of like understanding the different trajectories of your ship and their ship and the asteroid field to understand like how fast you need to be going to pick the engagement of your choice and also at the same time understand like what's going to get you shots and as opposed to what's not going to get you shots like are they going to be trying to drag you through an asteroid field or are you going to 
try to bring them to you or something along those lines. Um, but at the same time, you can always like really kind of like eyeball. I mean, if you think about it, it's almost going to be like the rule of like 22 where it's like you have to are you going to have to go 11 up and then 11 over at some point? Um, what are the different bank rulers going to do? What are the different turn rulers? What are the like? I mean, I don't have the math right in front of me, but this is something that you could definitely kind of identify and how fast you need to be going. Um, I know a lot of people in the game probably are just like, well, I don't want to understand that. I just want to like kind of do the math or not do the math, just kind of eyeball it and go from there. But I, I think at the same time, like you, the like opportunities are there for you to really capitalize. On, like this is like real, I would say probably like deep um, thinking that you if you really wanted to know like the different speeds and kind of calculate where how fast your opponent's going where you could absolutely start this engagement and how it could benefit you to the best of your ability uh zach how about you when when you are flying and anything like this is any of this crossing your mind or are you just kind of eyeballing it I mean, honestly, at this point, like, Rule of Eleven is something, like, I knew about back at 1.0. Like, I probably watched that same video that Jonathan referenced, just like Brett, just like Jonathan, just like Andrew, just like probably a lot of our 1.0 listeners out there. Like, this was a big thing that kind of was made a big deal of back when that video came out. Today, when I play games, it's honestly something that, like, I just don't actively think about at all. And, like, I think a big part of that is that it's probably been somewhat ingrained in me at this point like it's just muscle memory but the big thing that i always try and think about the one thing that i do like actively think about in pretty much every like non-super casual game that i play is like what can my opponent's ships do movement wise like i think that's a big thing that like maybe newer players or you know less experienced players less tournament players don't think about as much as like not just what can my ships do, like where can my ships go, but where can my opponent's ships go? It's like when I'm playing, especially at like tournaments, I always have like one of the squad builder apps open on my phone with my opponent's faction in there so I can quickly pull up like, oh, like, all right, what are their maneuvers here? And like, as you kind of like learn what ships are capable of, you kind of learn to gauge those distances like in an almost rule of 11-esque situation. Because like you said, I, f I feel like from first round on, the rule of 11 just doesn't mean a ton anymore because people don't joust, generally, unless like it's round five and they want to go home. Um, But like being able to gauge distances is still like a major part of the game. So you were flying a defender on Saturday, like you said. Were you measuring out or checking, you know, can I can I get this K turn to fit in here um, during the game, or were you really just not even concerned about that? Like I, I remember, I used to always have my asteroids set at, at two and two corners so I could try and line things up uh, to to make sure my K turn could fit wherever I was, um, and I would always try and and measure and and check where range two would end uh, to see if I would bump another ship. Were those things you were considering at all, or or at this point, you know, do you just know where range two ends? So, uh, so well. To be fair and full disclosure, I did have collision detector on him, so it was kind of cheating. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So I, I didn't have to gauge quite as closely when it came to obstacles. Um, but no, at this point, like I, I, 
I know what my range four is. Like, I know where that's going to get me. And I think that's just reps. Like, it's I've played enough that I can eyeball things down. I have a particular way of putting obstacles down that I kind of create my own distances. Like, I think this is something, like, for people to experiment with on, like, themselves. Especially, like, right now, while you're at home and you're not going to game stores to play games, but you have all your stuff with you, just start plopping asteroids down on the kitchen table. And, like, using that to measure some distances. Like, I've gotten it down at this point after playing this game for, what, six years? Seven years now? Seven years. Like, I just know where I want to put my rocks, and I know what distances those are, just because of doing it so many times. And then that helps me gauge distances in the game. Yeah, and it's definitely something to remember. Like, uh, so every rock has to be a range one away. So that means if, you know, you're basically parallel to one rock and you, you can kind of identify where... Now, granted, you, you have to remember, like, diagonals and, you know, um, the Pythagorean theorem and all that fun stuff. But uh, you can probably gauge a lot of your movement on the rocks of what's going to fit and what's not going to fit and where you're going to end up. Like, if you see that, like, a rock is parallel with each other, then you know, obviously, a one forward is probably always going to fit because you're giving it a two speed or um, vice versa. So there's a lot of different tricks that you can do in the game to kind of understand the movement that you're going to be going like between and the engagements you're going to be picking. Like granted, I'm probably on the same boat with you, Zach, that, you know, I eyeball a lot. I kind of have a really good feel of what's going to fit, what can not fit, um, what turns are going to hit rocks and what not, what's not going to hit rocks and everything like that. And like, even if you're just playing a friendly game with your, you know, buddies or anything like that, I uh, and something happens, you know, take your, you know, Brett, how many games do we play together that I'm always just like, I'm not doing this. I'm taking it back. Um, oh, yeah, right. And, and of course, like right. when you're, you're doing a practice game, that's what practice is for. Right. And, and like just strong arm your opponent, who cares? Um, but yeah, no, like until you get the feel that you're like almost perfect for it, like absolutely do that. Uh, so, but, and, and then kind of identify, what mistake you made so if like you make it two turn and it hits the rock like put the template down and look at it like okay it wasn't you know i wasn't parallel with this or i wasn't considering the fact that it was a one forward or something like that and or like um let's say you do a k turn and you are just out like they're just in range three and you do a 4k turn and for some reason it bumps is it the angle that your ship is on? Is it the nubs or something like that? Like, it, it, there's a lot of things that you can look at that, like, understand-wise. And, like, when we're talking about these digital games, all of these games are done with, like, perfect precision. And it's really kind of a good opportunity to practice this because, you know, I, I try... I know when I'm playing games, like, on a Tuesday night... And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sloppy. I bump my ships. I knock them over and everything like that. But, like, when I am at a tournament, I definitely try to take the time to, like, make these um, movements as precise as possible without having to really kind of, like, um, 
like fidget or any, anything with them and, and make them as exact as uh, possible. So when you're playing these games online, and I know this is really popular with the Vasily community is they're learning, you know, the math and everything like that is to really kind of understand where your ships are going to be going and identifying the different speeds and the different tricks that you can be doing throughout the game to um, really benefit and perform the best options. Yeah, the lack of banner templates in, in TTS is something you definitely have to get used to, right? Because you're like, all right, you know what? I, I know the room in the nubs here. I can move it over a little where I'm not going to clip this. You don't get any of that leeway in uh, a computer game. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say that is the one thing that I'm, I'm looking at with TTS as being an advantage is you can actually like kind of like zoom in and like zoom down and really kind of look at like the angles of like, okay, if I'm parallel to this rock and like you really kind of like look down at the base and be like almost as if you were there in person just to kind of like look down and see if you're going to hit that rock by going straight um but like i said at the same time there's no human error in these things so this is i think the perfect opportunity to really kind of understand the different like maneuvers and see how the game is meant to be played without any of this human error that everything's going to be precise arcs are going to be perfect and um the only time that you're going to have like obscure angles is if you set up awkwardly or if you bump and change the trajectory of your ship because it's on a funny angle at this point um but but again like i said that's the way it's supposed to be played i know there's been times where i mean in any tournament you know i know people get tired and like you said advantage templates kind of might like you might think you start off perfectly and then halfway through the game you didn't bump anything and your ship is cocked at like a you know a 15 degree angle for some reason you're just like what happened there okay um but other than that like i said uh, any of you guys have anything else that you want to add on to this well i I just kind of was was wondering if if jonathan has any rule of 11 tips you know besides just how, how it is for someone playing a swarmier list right because i never play him he he jonathan you're great at them um so assuming most people are smart enough to not line up across from you because they will just automatically lose like what what's your thought process for the diagonal joust well i think when you set up i think like it's really hard to when you're in opposite corners, it, I don't think it's realistic to say if I do a three bank and he does a one bank, and then I do a three forward and he does a two forward, then I'll be arranged this. So I think your first few moves are sort of like, do you want to slow roll? Do you want to try to rush an engagement? And then it's only when you start to get to like range five or four that you're starting to think of the rule, like engagement bands. Um, so I think at first, I'd say, I think, am I trying to rush an engagement? Am I trying to slow roll? And then when the engagement, when you see the engagement coming, I I would definitely take advantage of, so if you're measuring for ranges, measuring for target locks, and you get a sense of how far the, your opponent is, it gives you a sense of how fast you may need to go or how slow. And depending on your list and depending on their list, it depends on when the optimum range for engagement might be. So um, for instance, if they have ordinance and you don't, you might you probably want to brush into range one. You know, if uh, so as, as an example, 
Um, is, is your main thought just delay the engagement until I can get all of the ships in, in range and try and make sure you know they just can't clip the the one ship I, I have furthest out? Yeah, like you want to be sure you want. Ideally, if you're flying multiple ships and they, if you're flying like six to eight ships and they only have like three or four, you want to be, you want to get all your ships to shoot on that first turn if possible. Whereas your opponent, what they probably want is they want to just catch like your first one or two or three ships with the rest of the ships sort of out of range. So, it really going fast or slow sort of depends on how the rocks are set up and the specifics of the list. And, uh, and I know that this probably sounds kind of basic potentially, but I, I feel like this issue determines so many games. Um, like I, I had a game at Worlds where I I thought I was going to have a perfect uh, you know range three engagement on the the front ship that was out there, and and ideally I'd be able to take him off before that second round of engagement happened or, or at the second round and I miss by, you know, a millimeter or two. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky to not get tabled because that just that, that little error where the next turn now he's got all of his ship shooting at me, completely different game than if I, I hit that correctly. So it seems probably a little basic and, you know, people are like, all right, I can figure this out, but I, I feel like it's probably one of the most important parts of the game. I don't know if you guys agree. Yeah, I think that first engagement is super important and like having it's like that decision on do you do you feel like like you fly in you're flying in you're at range you're beyond range you're trying to think all right am I out of range do I need to barrel roll back to stay out of range do I you know that decision on it it can be a really big it could definitely be a real big game changer there. Fair enough. No, 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 no. The, uh, I, I think I think that really kind of explains it very well. Uh, you said like about how you want like all your ships to be able to engage at the same time, and, and that makes a huge difference, especially when you're dealing with defense tokens. I, I think that's the huge thing that you want everything to um, re really kind of capitalize on bringing that many ships, and definitely trying to get every ship to have a shot. Um, makes a huge difference in the game um all right so like i said uh if you are interested in doing our league or, or you know i know we were keeping it local but i mean i think enough people were looking at the facebook group that um from out of town that might be joining it so if you are interested in it i know we wanted me to spread the word that if you go to the liberty squadron facebook group uh, that you can get more information there. And I will also post the tabletop TO information in our show notes. Uh, thanks Paul. And you can get more information there. I believe it's just the game a week and I think it's extended, right? To Brad, do you remember? I believe it is extended and obviously there's no like locked lists. Uh, so you can switch it up every week. Right. Um, so we have that going on for us. And like I said, stay tuned. We're going to be trying to do a, another tournament probably next month in May. Maybe we'll try to do one once a month uh, to try to get things rolling a little bit more in TTS and uh, go from there. If, you know, things keep up, maybe we'll do like every other week. I don't know if people would be interested in that. Uh, if you are a fan of the show, check us out on Patreon. Check us out on Facebook at that, uh, the either our podcast page or our 
Liberty Squadron Facebook group. Other send in your list for me. Oh, yeah. Don't forget. Send in the list at Liberty Squadron Podcast at gmail.com. What you want to see Brett fly. The craziest list, better win. So think of like Dace Bonearm with um, what is like the worst Z95 that you could possibly think of on Scum mixed with. Come on, give me something that could be semi-competitive. No, 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 nothing. With Cat Scarlet. Give him a bunch of, like, not good things with Cat Scarlet. Dace Bonearm, Cat Scarlet, and, like, one other named pilot. Leighton, whatever. K2 Lichos. K2. So, are we trying, is it come up with the worst possible list for Brett? Uh, It could be, like, jankiest, worst possible list. We're gonna take our three favorite and then we'll throw them up on a poll. So if it's if it's bad, I'm it's gonna have my vote. Maybe if it's janky, it'll have Brett's vote. But um, I I think we could have some fun with this. If it's Vader soon to your whisper, it's then gonna I'll get pay. axed. But, um, How about that? Just... There we go. Each of the four of us will pick our favorite list to put up for there the poll, go. and then we'll let the people finalize it. How about uh, two Academy pilots? <laughs> oh. <laughs> What about Sunter Yeah, uh, Sunter Fell, an academy, <laughs> and a bid. I actually really like that. Just a dream. Uh, so it's definitely, like I said, one more time, Liberty Squadron Podcast at gmail.com. Send them there, and uh, next week we will uh, tell you which lists are going to be up for vote, and then we'll go from there, and then Brett will be locked in and... You know, I don't even think we should tell him which list oh, wins. I think it would be funny if, like, the day of, we're just like, okay. But I would have to hide results. Anyway. Yeah. And then I need to practice with all four of them. Uh, yeah. Time exactly. So <laughs> maybe I'll hide the results and uh, I will announce the day of. All right. So I want to thank everyone for listening and have a good night.